0: To Crossview Radio, weekly podcast from Wayne County, I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Today we are going to continue our series on theology. And last time that we uh, were in this series, we visited the topic of the Trinity. And today we're going to take a look at God the Father and this time i want to begin uh by naming kind of a, a couple of uh historic heresies with regard to god the father most of the heresies that we typically think of in church history uh, at least i think of typically have more to do with the second person of the trinity namely uh jesus uh and oftentimes uh as as you're aware the cults will distort the identity of christ by claiming perhaps he was just a man, or he's um, a different God, or something like that. Uh, but historically, there have been some heresies that are, are directed at, at God the Father, and admittedly, uh, they do really kind of affect all of the members of the Trinity, um, and so uh, these, these heresies really, you can't necessarily uh, just cut it out and say it only refers to God the Father. Uh, But nevertheless, I do want to take uh, a look at a couple of them that do affect um, in a significant way God the Father. Uh, So, I guess we'll just start off here. One of these heresies is uh, Martianism. Uh, Martian was a man who lived in the 2nd century AD, and he basically taught that the New Testament Christian could discard the Old Testament. He believed that the God of the New Testament was not the God of the Old Testament. Uh, He taught that the Creator God first created the universe, but then another God sent Jesus to save them from the deficient creation of uh, of the first God. Uh, And while uh, it may not be fully-fledged Martianism, there are people today who walk in his footsteps when they undermine the value of the Old Testament. Uh, and so, whenever you hear someone who would describe the God of the Old Testament as uh, perhaps you know, typically this this harsh dictator type God, and the God of the New Testament, you know, in Jesus as this kind, patient God, you know, it kind of, I mean, reeks of Martianism. It is kind of what it's it's um, promoting, uh, though perhaps not formally, but at least it's following in His footsteps. Um, so there's uh there's that particular heresy, and we've talked here a little bit about this whole idea of uh, unhitching the Old Testament that is in my estimation uh, a form of of martianism when when we um claim that the Old Testament can be uh, unhitched from from the New Testament we don't need to refer to it anymore uh another heresy is uh, is modalism that has to do with Uh, you know, again, God the Father, but the entire Trinity, Uh, a modern way that people kind of fall into this trap of modalism is when we use the uh, illustration of water to try to capture the Trinity. So you've all probably heard that illustration before, where water is one element, but it can appear as a liquid, a solid, or a gas, um, and so that's used to try to describe the Trinity. That's actually not a good illustration at all because it doesn't capture the, the distinctiveness of the members of the, the Trinity. The, the three phases of water are just different modes of one element. Uh, but Jesus is not just a different mode of God the Father, He is uh, distinct. From God the Father. Uh, Modalism, you may have heard uh, go by other terms, similar terms, uh, Sibelianism or modalistic monarchianism. Uh, Sibelius picked up on this teaching, and he taught it in the third century AD, and there actually are modern proponents of this doctrine, and they would be uh, oneness Pentecostals. Um, What this teaching does, though— is it not only misrepresents God, uh, but it also etches away at the atonement itself. And a verse that comes to mind would be Isaiah 53.10 that says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And of course, looking at this from a New Testament perspective, we know that this is referring to uh, the cross, uh, Jesus making uh, satisfaction, uh, propitiation uh, for our sins, and you have in this passage the distinctiveness that God is crushing—God uh, the Father is crushing God the Son. And so when you say that God is just uh, different modes, sometimes He shows up as the Father, and sometimes He shows up wearing the, the Jesus hat, and sometimes He wears shows up wearing the, the Holy Spirit hat, but it's just different modes of the same person. You lose uh, of course, all the passages that refer to the distinctiveness uh in the Trinity, and you lose the uh effectiveness of the atonement because there is uh this description of more than one person going on uh in in the the atonement um, You can't have this if God is just different modes uh, of the same person rather. Uh, as we understand and know, the Trinity is three persons in one being, and so there's the uh, unity of God; and He's one being, uh, and yet there is the uh, the, the three persons in the, in the Trinity. Another uh, heresy is uh, uh, Manichaeism, and uh, this is a third century heresy, and this one is interesting. It's actually one that we don't talk about too much. Um, But it's interesting because Augustine subscribed to this view before he became a Christian. It's it's actually a form of moral dualism, and we probably don't hear too much about it because I think it tends to typically be more of an Eastern-type idea, but it has infiltrated Christianity in a lot of ways. Uh, But basically, this moral dualism where the good spirit and the evil spirit are constantly at war— and have always um, always existed eternally, uh, and they're just they're kind of almost coequal in a way. Uh, so they're they're they have they have this equal power. They're always at battle with one another, and sometimes the good gets the upper, upper hand. Sometimes the bad gets the upper hand. Um, you contrast that with God as revealed in the Bible, God the Father, and uh, there there is evil in this world, yes, but. Not even Satan is co-equal with God. Um, that's what moral dualism says, is the good force and the bad force are, are equal with one another. Um, Satan will ultimately be defeated, and good and God will ultimately, uh, ultimately win. Uh, you know the whole uh, yin and yang idea? That, that's a form of moral dualism. And again, more of an Eastern religion type uh, thought process behind that, but it does hijack its way into Christianity in uh, in different ways. Uh, I doubt any of us. Uh, perhaps I'm wrong. I doubt any of us have formally introduced our Christianity to dualism by suggesting that you know an evil God created uh, the world and the good God is at war against him. Um, however, we may. Uh, allow dualism to infiltrate our Christianity in other smaller ways that are still significant, Um, anytime we undermine God's sovereignty or minimize his sovereignty, we risk dualism. We imply that someone or something else competes with God at his level. There is only one omnipotent being in the universe, and that being is God sometimes I see this kind of dualism at play when I hear someone say, you know, something to the effect of, you know, oh, I lost my my job today. Satan sure is busy and active. And then, you know, five minutes later, they'll say, oh, I found a $50 bill on the sidewalk. You know, God's looking out for me. The problem with those two statements are that they attribute all of the bad stuff to Satan and all the good stuff to God. And it's kind of as if, you know God and Satan were battling it out, and you know Satan won up God this time, uh, but God got him down the next time that that's a form of dualism that comes into our our thinking and I would suggest to us that we need to understand that God is sovereign even over the bad things that do happen. He has not lost control, he has not lost sovereignty the moment that we suggest that there is another um uh Powerful, omnipotent, whatever being in the universe, we are um, we're in the uh, risking dualism. And so God is completely in control even over all of the uh, all of the bad things that do happen as well. Um, I'll stop there with the heresies and uh, and get to to the truth. Uh, And I'll just read our church's doctrinal statement uh, on on God the Father. It says this, We believe in God the Father who is a personal spirit and is infinite in holiness, righteousness, justice, love, and sovereignty. We believe God is transcendent yet imminent, self-existing, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and that he is the creator and sustainer of all things. We believe he is worthy of all of our adoration, praise, love, and worship. It's a rather short statement, admittedly, uh, and certainly uh, we have this list of attributes that is just a sampling of all of his attributes. We haven't listed all of them here. Uh, But unlike uh, Martianism, this God, uh, the God of the Bible, that is, is the same God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And though the examples are numerous— I will give you, just as a way of comparing that heresy to scripture, I'll give you one example in the Old Testament where uh, God is described as a God of grace, and then one from the New Testament where Jesus is a God of wrath, which um, uh, kind of upsets that paradigm. Psalm eighty six fifteen, "...but you, O God, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness." And so you have God's mercy there, his grace, certainly we see his mercy displayed in bringing his children out of Egypt, uh, and uh, in in the creation uh, narrative itself, and all throughout the Old Testament, we see God's mercy uh, continually being put on display. Um, Revelation 19, 15 through 16, actually, let me back up there and say just for a second uh, on that, Um, they're actually in the, in the New Testament in Romans chapter three. You have a statement uh, referring to actually answering a question: How come God overlooked all the sin in in the Old Testament? And the answer to that, according to Romans three, was was um, because Christ was coming. God was going to sacrifice His Son Christ, and so it was on that basis that He could pardon sins in the Old Testament. Looking at it from that Romans 3 perspective, the New Testament perspective on God in the Old Testament is why was God so merciful in the Old Testament? Why was God not more harsh? Why did God not just destroy everyone essentially? And how come he kept showing so much grace? That's what the New Testament thinks about the Old Testament, if I could put it that way. And um, and and the, the picture in the Old Testament is not. Of this uh, unloving, uncaring God, um, uh, or even some you know, uh, you know erratic God who who has no control over his emotions or whatever. That's not the picture. The picture is of a God who is full of grace and yet at the same time is a God of justice, and those two things come together. Uh, going to the New Testament, then. Revelation nineteen fifteen through 16, talking about Jesus, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so you have the wrath uh, of Christ being put on display here, treading this winepress. He is a God of justice. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the same God. Uh, And so we have to acknowledge that God the Father is a God full of mercy and compassion. And yet that doesn't preclude his justice. He acts in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in ways that are uh, not contrary to, uh, but are completely consistent with his character. Unless we forget the one place where both his justice and his mercy intersect, we must look to the cross. God can show us mercy, and he can show Old Testament saints mercy because he showed Christ justice. And because of this, we have to acknowledge, as our doctrinal statement says, he is worthy of all of our adoration, praise, love, and worship. Let's worship him, but let's do it in accordance with Scripture. As John 4 says, we worship him in spirit and in truth in ways that are consistent with how he has revealed himself to us. Not a God of our imagination, not a God who we have made after our own image and our own likeness, but a God that's been revealed to us in the Old and New Testament, the scripture. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at CrossviewOrville.com.